IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode, we review the new album by Kanye West. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, the original certified lover boy, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? <laughs> well, I mean, on, on a day where, what, like New York's underwater, Joe Rogan's telling his listeners to eat horse paste, uh, yes. all sorts of terrible things going on in Texas. I mean, I'm just glad that we have some feel-good stories to share with our listeners, like, you know, the guy who took a shit in the turnstile mosh pit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this is, this has been a big story this week, and I, I, I want to get your take on this. And by the way, you know, I, we're really throwing our listeners into the deep end uh, right away in this episode. I, I hope people are not grossed out by this. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this important story as delicately as we can. Yes. But I want to get your take on this because I, I, I saw people talking about there was this guy. Yeah, the, this was a show in California. Santa Cruz. I believe you. Santa Cruz, I believe you saw the show right before this. Yeah. Is there like a ger- is there like a German word for like the disappointment you feel when you went to the show the night before someone like made history by taking a shit in the turnstile pit? Well, someone might have taken a shit at your show. You just didn't know yeah, about it. It was maybe outdoors, maybe it was, so it'd probably be hard to tell. Yeah, it was maybe more low key. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> there was uh the show in California in Santa Cruz and it was this there was this dump discovered. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't in the pit. I think it was originally in the pit, and then someone threw it on stage. Is that is that the you story? know what? Like right it's- right now, it's it, it's just this like Rashomon like tale where people are like just telling it from many different perspectives, and the legend will far outlive uh, the stink of whatever it was. So I mean, we like oh, was that a pun? It was a little pun it, there. It, the stink? yes, it will. And you know what? Like we're gonna get a guy who like. I imagine he'll he or she will like say like I I'm the original turnstile poover like they're gonna give like oh, yeah. an exclusive story to Rolling Stone or whatever. Well, is this gonna become a bit at shows yeah. like where people are like, well, I'm gonna be the one here who does this? Like, I mean that that, that I wonder if Turnstile's gonna have to put out a statement <laughs> saying, please do not do this. But but here's my question because it seems like in the discourse this week, people talking about this, that there was an assumption that this was done deliberately, you know, either out of spite or like as a joke. Whereas I'm inclined to believe that this was a accident. Yeah. And, you know, like the person got in the pit, they're very excited. You know, they, they love glow on. They listen to the IndieCast episode where we raved about it. They get to see this band and like, they literally just crap themselves out of excitement. Uh, Do you think it was a deliberate act or do you think it was an accident? So here's the thing. I mean, there 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 are guys in like hardcore and like uh saying that yeah this is like surprisingly not that uncommon and also like i remember there was an issue i think the body issue of espn the magazine where uh athletes particularly football players talk about how common this is in a contact sport like it's nowhere near like people don't want to talk about it obviously but it happens now like like so people are excited again, and yeah. it's the thrill of of the physical yeah. contact, and you sort of lose control of your body temporarily. Also, it's, it's may- Santa Cruz, man. Like people are probably like on all kinds of drugs up there that like you know, 
cause them to lose control of their bowels or they're eating like, you know, they're like surf dudes who had a burrito and like then took a bunch of mushrooms. So you gotta, you gotta understand like the geographical context of it all. So you think it was an accident and not someone, not a joker out there who was like, I'm going to do this. It'll be hilarious. Cause like, cause again, I, I think it's an accident. It's gotta be an accident. I, to me, you'd have to be a true sociopath to do that deliberately. Because for me, the thought of, of, uh, taking a dump, even in a toilet at a show oh, yeah. is an, is a nightmare. I mean, that's something I have legitimately feared, at various times <laughs> in my life where I wasn't maybe feeling that good. And I'm like, I do not want to do that at a show. It just seems like a terrible place. Yeah, shout out to Lear Golil. Like, he's our uh, a friend of the pod. He did a lot of, uh, he's done a lot of work about uh, festival outhouses. Uh, and oh, just yeah. how, like, but yeah, this, this taps into my greatest fear as well. So yeah, we've gone from like a really feel good story to, you know, exploring like the deepest and darkest uh, fears I have about being in public. So Cool. We're, we're off to a great start so far. <laughs> I mean, well, to, to flip this in a more positive direction, my my equivalent of this turnstile story is that in uh, 2010, um, I saw the uh, reunion tour of Guided by Voices. It was like the classic lineup of Guided by Voices with all the mid-90s people, and all they did was play mid-90s songs. So I was at the show. It's like 39 songs, about three hours it's a GBV show, so I'm drinking a fair amount of beer. Yeah. And it's one of those shows where you're like, all the songs are great. There are no bathroom break songs. So I was like, I cannot go to the bathroom during this show. And again, I'm drinking all this, you know, watery domestic <laughs> beer at this show. And miraculously, I did not have to go to the bathroom once wow. during the show. So, I mean, it, maybe this is like the anti-turnstile story, you know, just to give like an uplifting counterexample <laughs> that you can be at a show that you love and actually contain your bodily functions long enough to enjoy everything. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully, but I mean, if you got to go, you got to go. I don't want pe- I don't want to encourage people to uh, damage their <laughs> inner organs, but I'm just saying sometimes miracles can happen and protect you from having to go when you don't want to go. Uh, so... We were going headlong into getting that Depends sponsorship. Well, well, but I didn't need Depends. That's the thing. <laughs> I, but I have thought, like, maybe I should wear a diaper to this show because <laughs> I, I do have a weak bladder. Sometimes I'm like, it'd be nice not to have to go to the bathroom, you know, if, especially if I'm having some drinks. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if there's if there's like a hip Depends that someone could market, you know, like a hip dad <laughs> Depends that didn't have the stigma of Depends but would – be cooler yeah like i, I, yeah, I just I imagine know. it depends commercial that like is taking place at like a fake turnstile show and you know this guy just like kind of turns and winks to his friend like hey man <laughs> this ain't like santa cruz that's right although yeah anyway maybe we should just abandon this story yeah. if, Fl- if people flush are this one down the toilet so to speak uh well exactly if people are still listening to this episode <laughs> this is this is this is like uh this has definitely been the, the like what what's the word? This is like the most uh, this is like the filthiest indie yeah. cast so far. I think we've already set uh, set that new uh, record. Um, another story I was really intrigued by this week was the fake Jonathan Richmond yes story where Jonathan Richmond, the uh, beloved uh, lead singer of the Modern Lovers, and he's had a long solo career, a, a, a punk and indie icon. Mm. 
he was booked at a festival, I guess in Olympia, Washington, but, and it wasn't him. It was like a fake Jonathan Richmond, which it does seem like he would be fairly easy to have a fake person. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, you say like, you know, the fake, fake Jonathan Richmond, I'm about to make a Mac DeMarco joke or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, we, we're, we're, we're on point today. Um, yeah, that's that that like I don't he didn't like let me just be clear like the fake Jonathan Richmond didn't actually play the festival, right? Yeah, I think that the real Jonathan Richmond and his management alerted the festival before the fake Jonathan gotcha. Richmond went on. Like like somehow the real Jonathan Richmond got wind of it and he said, "Hey, I'm not in Olympia, Washington. <laughs> I don't know where he was in reality, but yeah, they alerted uh the authorities. I mean, couldn't the guy have said I'm a Jonathan Richmond impersonator. Like, I, like this is a tribute to Jonathan Richmond, um, and maybe there's some sort of loophole there. I mean, I don't know. Like, is this guy in jail? Like, what, what, like, what, what is the punishment for impersonating? Jonathan I mean, Richmond, you I know, think. I think legally it would be like you know fraud. But then again, when you think about like the fact that they didn't actually play, I mean, like it would be really tough to get like you know, legitimate damages that would make a lawsuit worthwhile. But I think fraud would be it. But I think you're right in that, like, Jonathan Richmond, like, that is the perfect person to be, like, if, if you're going to be a scammer. It's got to be, like, someone who, you know, might, like, might be old, too, like, a little too old. They'll have, like, a, like you know, like a well-known agent, like a CAA or a William Morris or a, you know, APA-type person. Um, and you know, you can come in at like a real low ball estimate, like, Hey, we're going to be in town. We're routing through Olympia or Little Rock, Arkansas. And like, I really like, I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often, you know? I, and maybe like, this is, I don't know, this is maybe me, maybe one of my side hustles. You know, we put this remembering, got some guys energy to use, you know, like call up a bunch of like the, our beloved, uh, B market festivals in places like, you know, Lexington, Kentucky or whatever and say like, Hey, uh, I have, here we go magic or hooray for earth or something like that. And like, you can get them for a shockingly low price. Like, but we need a 50%, uh, deposit up front. Yeah. I mean, it could, it could be like the new scam of the century. Maybe you, you say that, uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, just name any like like mid level like kind of mid mm. mid aughts indie band. <laughs> you know like we're the Stills, um, and it, it, and it's just like four guys in their late forties with like nice haircuts and and jean jackets, and you know maybe you could make five hundred bucks playing uh, you know hell yeah uh, Beale Street days in Memphis or something you know like the the <laughs> that would be like a great heist movie maybe you just go from festival to festival coast to coast and then there's like tommy lee jones is like tracking you down like every step of the way we heard that, <laughs> that being said if the stills do want to come back i will definitely pay a, an exorbitant fee to come out and see you guys so if the stills if you're listening the real stills that is. yeah exactly well you know speaking of indycast hall of fame i'm surprised we haven't put the stills uh their oh. first record is that only love can break your heart. Is that? What oh my called? God! Logic will break your heart. Only logic will break. Is it? Is it no, logic? No, will break no, your heart? only it no is. Only? Lo- logic will break your heart. Logic will break your heart. My my recall of album titles has been terrible on this show lately. <laughs> I, I pride myself on knowing 
album. Co- I mean, I knew seventy five percent of that uh, album title, but I, yeah. I I mixed it up with Neil Young in my head mm. with the Neil Young song "Only Love Can Break Your Heart" and then Logic. Well, they do have a song called Let's Roll, so maybe that. And they're Canadian too, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so maybe. Okay, well, there you go. Maybe that's what's happening here. Okay, you know, this may not be the last time we bring up the stills on this Ooh, show. I hope not. I hope not either. Uh, we're both big fans. Uh, let's go to our mailbag segment, and uh, thank you all for writing into our show. Uh, you can reach us at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Um, we are going to do two letters today, because we get mm. so many letters, especially since we started that Twitter account. Yeah. We get way more letters now, which is great. And we also get... Uh, way more Jimothy jokes. I mean, that's where we we can only we can't really do Jimothy jokes on the show anymore because it's pretty yeah. old. But the 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 like the Twitter followers they love the Jimothy jokes. They bring them up all the time. So if you still want to hear the Jimothy jokes, you're not going to hear them on the show. Go to our Twitter account Indycast One, and you'll hear some Jimothy jokes there. I promise. Um, <laughs> our uh, first letter comes from Monica in Havana, Cuba. Which is amazing. We had a letter from uh, Beirut last week. We have Havana this week. We're like, this is like an international show. Yes. It's pretty exciting. And Monica's Monica's written a few times and she's very sweet, said some nice things to us in her email. So glad to get her into the show here, into the mailbag. She writes, when I was in my teen years, I used to love bands like Cradle of Filth, Cold Chamber, or Within Temptation. Hell yeah. Now Nowadays, I cannot say they are great bands, but I'm Aww. still fond of their songs. I know nostalgia can make even uh, bands that aren't very good seem good because you liked them at one time. Um, I'm wondering, what bands do you two like that you know aren't very good, but you like them out of nostalgia? <laughs> um, this is a difficult question. Uh, question to answer i feel like you're probably going to come from a similar place on this mm-hmm. because you know we've we've both been music critics for a long time and you get mm-hmm. that music critic brain mm-hmm. where you for one thing you know the idea of like guilty pleasures i mean that's been outlawed basically in critical discourse in like the last 10 15 years that you know we're told that there's no such thing as guilty pleasures and i feel like a record, like say, just to name an example, Get Born by Jet, which is a oh, record yeah. I, I really love. But do I love it out of nostalgia because it reminds me of my mid-20s? Or is that actually a good record that was maybe misunderstood by critics at the time? It's really hard for me to know the answer to that. I don't know if my music critic brain has twisted my perception of this. Because honestly, my feeling is that that is a good record. Um, but I don't know. Like, how do you feel on this? I mean, are you coming from a similar place? Yeah, I mean, I think if a, a record like Jet, like Jets Get Born, if if it's if critics are just like completely like pissing on it, you know, actually that was the next that the monkey pissing in its mouth. That was the next Jet album. But like, if critics don't like it, it is doing its job. But uh, as far as Monica, like uh, you know, her. Bands that she mentions, like Cradle of Filth, Cold Chamber, like AJ Soprano type music. Like uh, my my opinion on that stuff is when we think about like what's a bad band, I think we 
look at it and like, okay, which bands are in bad taste as opposed to like which bands are actually like, you know, they don't have technical skill or whatever. Because bands like Cradle of Filth or like Coal Chamber or, you know, oftentimes it's like new metal bands that are brought up. Um, when someone is 16, and I believe this about myself, like, I think there's something just so honest about the interaction with that music. Like you were saying, there's the critic brain that comes in at a certain point where um, you try to like music because you think it's important or it, you know, it's in the lineage of the right influences or it fits within the narrative. Like these things that I could not even conceptualize when I was 16. I just liked, say, Ugly Kid Joe or like that one Jackal song with the chainsaw lumberjack because like, yeah, this thing rips. And I can get in touch with that still. Like I firmly believe that anyone should be far less embarrassed by the st stuff they liked at 16 than the stuff they liked when they were 26, you know? I look back at like year-end lists from 2012 or 2013 that I made and I am just like kind of mortified that I talked myself into certain things because I thought that, oh, this is where music is headed. Like, this is important right now. Like, I got a lot of, I guess we'll call it indie R&B type stuff uh, from 2011 and 2013 on these mixes I made. And it's just like, uh, like I, I know I let myself get kind of suckered there. Well, um, you know, but it could be a, fat, a matter of, you just not being far enough removed from that yet, you know, in the same way that like maybe you romanticized the music you liked when you were 16 mm -hmm. because that's now, you know, 25 years ago. Whereas that indie R&B stuff, it still feels relatively recent. And maybe in another 10 years, you'll look back on that and be like, oh yeah, like I was a kid when I was 26. And that was actually kind of, you know, it reminds me of that time, you know, maybe getting back to Monica's point that that will be the music that you nostalgically start to like again, because mm. you know, it, it reminds me of a time and place that now is pretty distant. I mean, when, when I was talking about music critic brain, I mean, you were talking about music critic brain in the sense of like conceptualizing records in terms of their importance or their cultural import, which is definitely a version of music critic brain. But I feel like if you have that kind of brain long enough, it evolves to a point where, when you think about the music of the past, the stuff that was not understood or well-reviewed or critically acclaimed or whatever, that becomes more interesting to think about than the records that were critically acclaimed. Absolutely. You know? And I think that happens with music critics. Maybe it happens with like regular people too. But, I mean, we were talking recently about the Limp Bizkit revival. I mean, to me, that's the perfect example of it, of people going back and saying, well, wait a second, this is actually, this has some merit, you know, for reasons A, B, and C. Whereas, you know, someone like Moby, you know, who was taking <laughs> shots at Limp Bizkit, I mean, Play, his record, was one of the most acclaimed records of 1999. That won Pass and Jop that year, right? Yeah, it won Pass and Jop. I'm sure it topped a lot of other lists. And to listen to that record now... I mean, it's, that record seems much more embarrassing in a way than yeah. maybe Significant Other does, um, and, and much more dated to the time. So, again, it's hard to know exactly why you are responding to something. Are you responding to it because um, it reminds you of a, of a particular time and place in your life, which would, which would be the nostalgia aspect? Or is it some you know intrinsic 
aesthetic quality to the music that you either liked at the time or maybe you appreciated later. I mean, I tend to think that these things are all wrapped up in one package, and it's impossible really to separate your own context from the music that you're that you're responding to and the only thing you can really do is acknowledge that that's true you know i think some people like to pretend that they can separate their own lives from how they respond to something and i don't think you can do that yeah the it's it's a tenant of remember some guy's lifestyle like i can (laughs) i i I can i can appreciate anything that's uh, that i've liked over the past 20 like 40 some odd years if like i can get into that remember some guy's mindset because yeah it's like no, no matter how bad or how like silly uh you know my life was or the music i liked at the time was you know you can it's it's just like kind of a way of like seeing seeing a greater context you know like i know if an, if the streets came out right now i'm like i would not listen to it but at 22 and 24 like i felt like those albums were describing my life so when i listen to them now is clearly a a, a, an attempt to reconnect with a much drunker, much younger, much more impressionable version of myself, which I miss, you know, even if it was, you know, embarrassing in a way. Like, I don't think we should lose sight of the, our more embarrassing moments. Yeah, and and I, I just find that as I get older that I'm not embarrassed by younger same. versions of myself in the same way that I was w- when I was maybe in my late 20s or early 30s, where I think you are at that age more... Uh, interested in separating yourself from maybe who you used to be. Whereas when you get older, you want to reconnect with those old versions of yourself a little bit. Be like, oh, this is interesting. And and music is a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, hopefully we answered your question, Monica. Thank you again for writing. And uh, I hope uh, there's, uh, I don't know what our following is like in Cuba. Maybe we have a mm-hmm. big Cuban following. That'd be amazing. You think <laughs> there's like a lot of indie cast heads in, in Havana? Uh, maybe that'd be fucking cool absolutely uh let's move on to our second question this comes from james in north andover massachusetts i expect north andover to be an indie cast stronghold that seems like (laughs) a very indie cast kind of place um james writes my question is about the idea of an album being way more interesting than the actual album itself Hmm. this is a highly specific example but one that has stuck with me for a while Back in 2011, Danger Mouse collaborated with Italian composer Danielle Lupi on Rome. Huh. Do you remember that record? I remember uh, this record. I, I vaguely remember it, but like, I mean, this is this is like a different variant of remembering some guys. This is like some re- like a real dead zone of guy remembering. But yeah, you know, shout, like th- yeah, this is this is a, James from North Andover. Like th- you're really on our wavelength right oh, now. Oh yeah, this is a deep cut. I appreciate him bringing this up. For people who don't remember, this was a record that it was a takeoff on like spaghetti western soundtracks, and like Jack White yeah. was on it, and Nora oh, cool. Jones. They were the stars of it. And anyway, James writes about how. Uh, on paper, this sounded like a pretty cool idea for a record. And then it comes out, and he says, it's fine. It, it was yeah. good, even. I liked it. I got a 7.0 on Pitchfork. The only problem with it, really, was that it wasn't as interesting as the idea uh, of it seemed in my head. As connoisseurs of album rollouts and discourse. <laughs> thank you, James, by the way, yeah. for calling us connoisseurs of album rollouts. Which I think we are. I think that's yeah. fair. That's fair praise. I'm not going to be falsely modest about this. I think we're connoisseurs of that. Um, 
Do you guys have any examples of this where the concept or narrative about the album made it sound way more interesting than the actual album ended up being? Um, you know, it's funny because one album we haven't talked about that came out last week is the Halsey record. Mm. Um, if I can't have love, I want power, which is, Oh, big. you get that album title. Correct. <laughs> well, I wrote this one down. Oh. I mean, I, I had to pull the stills album out of like thin air. And, I, and again, I got 75% of it. So yeah. Okay. I'm not taking that as a total loss. I'm taking it as a partial win. Right. Um, but anyway, this is the record that, uh, it's basically Halsey backed up by Nine Inch Nails. And uh, I remember hearing about this record and thinking, like, oh, that sounds like a pretty cool record. Like a pop singer with, like, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross laying down some soundscapes behind it. Seems like a cool idea. I kind of wish uh, Billie Eilish had done this or, like, maybe mm-hmm. Lord. Like, I, I, either one of their recent records, I think that they, they would have been great with Nine Inch Nails. But, but anyway... The Halsey record, I didn't really get into it. I don't know, like, did you listen to that record? At all? Yeah, I, 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 it did sound like uh, it did sound like a really interesting proposition. I mean, like, you know, as a forty-one-year-old man interacting with pop music to say, "Hey, maybe this is going to sound like, uh, you know, all those like late '90s pop records that tried to do fake Nine Inch Nails, but like right. actually you get the real deal." And I, I was mean, hoping it'd be like a stabbing westward record. I mean, that's yeah, not, like, there, it, there are together. some. So, yeah, there are some songs like uh, there are some songs that kind of take things in more of like a gravity kill slash uh, stabbing westward direction. But yeah, otherwise, I was a little disappointed on how much it sounded. You know, kind of like a contemporary pop record with like nine inch nails flavoring. I I, I kind of wish there was just like a it was a little dirtier or more menace. But then again, like this is you know I I could also just listen to a nine inch nails record if I want that. Right. I mean, otherwise, I mean, in terms of an idea being better than yeah. the execution, a for effort on that one. Yeah, a for effort on the Halsey record. I, but you know, beyond that record, I would say, in terms of an idea being more compelling than the execution, pretty much every supergroup ever yeah. <laughs> made. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's what immediately comes to mind. Like I, I like the quintessential example of this is Monsters of Folk. Do you remember Monsters of Folk? Do I remember Monsters of Folk, man? Like, this, I don't, you know what? I don't think I actually even listened to that album, despite the fact that it could not possibly be more, uh, you know, it could not be possibly more in my wheelhouse. Although, that being said, like, M. Ward, uh, Jim Jim James, Connor Connor Oberst. Oberst. The problem is, it had, like, the record came out in 2009 when I was like, this is like a year after uh, Evil Urges. Uh, like M Ward kind of you know fell off for me after Post War. Like this is not each artist at the peak of their powers, and um, so I mean like I I don't think I listened to this one. But I mean, I, I don't, do you, can you think of any other examples of like an idea that okay. you got excited about and the execution wasn't very well, exciting? I mean, we have to think about. I think they're called Banquet. Uh, BNQT, which was like Band of Horses, Franz Ferdinand, Granddaddy, and and Midlake, but uh, yeah, I, like that's like kind of like the I don't know. Maybe I should listen to that because like my expectations for it were so low that it can only Man, exceed them. I don't but, remember that at all. That was uh, a super group. Yeah, but I mean, it was a group with from other groups, and it happened, and it was real. Um, you know, one indie super group that I think was pretty good was Divine Fits. 
Oh, well, yeah. But that was like an actual real band. But, you know, I I, I feel like that was maybe the rare example where it worked. Because you had Britt Daniel. Yeah. And uh, was... Uh, Dan Bachner, I believe. Yeah, I thought Bachner. Were they, were they the only two famous people? Apparently, band. because I can't remember it offhand. <laughs> yeah, because I remember Britt Daniel and Dan Bachner, and it sounds like a Spoon record. I mean, it yeah. sounds more like Spoon than Wolf Parade, but yeah. I, I remember that record being good. Yeah, you know, but when I think about like execution, uh, like exceeding the or the the concept exceeding execution, like I, I'm probably gonna get in trouble here because, like, for me, this is always more. Uh, I always think of it more in the terms of like bands that sound like a good idea rather than records that sound like a good idea. And the one that stands out to me as like, this should really be right up my alley. Uh, and when I li- I just can't get myself to enjoy it is My Chemical Romance, particularly The Black Parade. Um, God, my life would be so much easier if I really liked My Chemical Romance. Like, it would open up a lot of opportunities. But here, like, here's this band that, you know, they come from an emo post-hardcore realm. They're making a theatrical uh, album concept album, similar to, like, you know, Smashing Pumpkins or what have you. They're an enormous influence on a lot of bands I like right now. And yet, to me, it's just like, it's not that fur- too far removed from Muse to me. Like... I just think that like they influenced cooler people in their youth. I don't know. I think maybe if I were like ten years younger, this the Black Parade might be my favorite album of all time. But even as someone who I guess skews a bit younger in their tastes, it just never, never, never quite. I I just don't think the songs are really there. <laughs> See, I like that band and I like that record too. And the musiness of it isn't a detractor for me. Because I like, if you're going to go theatrical, I like, you know, bands that go big in like the Queen Muse vein. You know, uh, you would think I did too, but it's like, and damn. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that about them. And um, I kind of like to see more bands actually do that. I mean, I, I, I like it when bands go really big like that mm. and over the top. Um and there's a few bands that I feel like if I were whispering in their ear, I would like maybe push them to go in that direction a little Glass bit. More. Be- Glass Beach covered the Black Parade, so you know they're definitely on that wavelength. I like that band. I'm going to defend my Chemical Romance. I guess this is going like against the grain of our show, but like <laughs> I'll defend the emo um, like Touchstone band, and you, I guess, will express some ambivalence about them. I guess yeah, that's our probably- stance. Probably going to get quite a few, uh, you know, quite a few letters about that one. Well, just so on the record, Steve likes My Chemical Romance. Ian is ambivalent. So just, yeah. just so we know. I think some people mix up our voices sometimes. <laughs> so I just wanted to be clear where we each stand on that. Um, let's get to the meat of our episode. Yes. Uh, we're talking about one of the meatiest albums <laughs> of the year. The 10th album by Kanye West, Donda. 27 tracks, 110 minutes. Um, is that still the case? I know, like, they're trying to change it from, uh, I know they're trying to change it. Okay, well, for now, we'll just say that. Yeah, as of, I'm, a, uh, I'm a fix, I'm a fix indie cast. As of Thursday morning on uh, September 2nd, it's 27 songs at 110 minutes. Um, it's funny that you bring that up, too, because this highlights 
an aspect of this record that I want to talk about, which is, mm. is this actually an album? Like huh. that was something I was thinking about as I was listening to it, because quite frankly, you know, I'm prepared to talk about this album, but I am not prepared to review it <laughs> in the sense of rendering judgment on it. Be- because A, I think, I mean, there's there's just way too much data on this record to fully absorb it after only about six days or so. But also because listening to it, it didn't feel like listening to an album. You know, it's set up at the beginning of the record to be, in a way, like this concept album about Kanye and his mother and his feelings about her and the relationship that they had. And it occasionally goes back to that, but it also goes all over the place. I mean, obviously, Kanye has many... Uh, neuroses that he has to plumb. He talks about, you know, the prison state on this record. You know, there's like Marilyn Manson is coming in at some point. I mean, there's yeah. just like a lot going on. And it just doesn't have the coherence and I, even like the conceptual thought that you associate with records. It really does seem like a data dump mm. um, to me. <laughs> so that's why it's hard for me to think about it in a way as an album. Yeah, and I think the corniest people that you will see on Twitter will agree with you that it's not now. They might say, yo, this is a movie. This is an experience. Like, well, it's not you know, a movie the, either. I know. <laughs> Again, but, I think it's a data dump. Yeah. It, it, it's like, I've got all this stuff. Some of it, I think, is actually like pretty great. I think that like if you took you know, the best you know, 10 songs... And yeah. just put it out as like a stripped down Jesus type record, it would be like a like a pretty like strong late period Kanye West record. Uh, but instead, we just have it, it, it's like someone instead of handing you a book, they just like handed you all their notes that they took for the book, and, and you know it, it, it's up to you to put it together. You know, so that's why I'm just like listening to it. I've I, I've I have trouble, I guess, thinking of it. as an album rather than just like a bunch of music that he's just put out and like we have to try to make sense of it yeah and i think that's that's kind of where the the apologists come in or just like the the extreme kanye stands where it's like no you don't understand he's completely breaking convention with this data dump and you know it's not because he lacks a sort of uh, coherent viewpoint to unify this record it's because we're just too limited. We're not on his level to understand the, uh, you know, the artistry that's going on here. Well, you you said like the corniest people are making that argument, yeah. but like, wasn't that the argument made about Pablo? On behalf, yeah, life of Pablo. I feel like this has been Kanye's modus operandi for the last five years. And yeah, the, and the nice thing about Yay, you know, that record <laughs> that came uh, out yeah. in twenty eighteen, and, and um, Jesus is King. Those are both like short records, right? You know, so you you could get through those in in like a half hour, and uh, even if they weren't that strong, they did feel like well, okay, I I get this as an album, I I understand what this is, um, but this record Donda, it just seems like the natural sort of logical endpoint of what started with the life of Pablo, mm-hmm. where at that time critics were very forgiving of him. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and willing to give him the benefit benefit of the doubt, which they're not now. You know, yeah. critics will not give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I don't know like what the right answer is. I feel like I, I feel like there were there, there were too many excuses made for the life of Pablo. I which is to me a record that 
at the time just sounded very unfocused and unfinished and like a guy who ran out of time to write his term paper and then had just had to turn in whatever it is he had. And that's what that record seemed like it to me. But, um, Donda just takes that and multiplies it, you know, two or three times. Yeah, and you all like Life of Pablo also had like some good songs on it, like songs that like you can immediately identify. Like I look, I do not like Chance the Rapper at all, but I understand the impact of Ultralight Beam. Like Real Friends, for example, is another one. The fake Jumpman song on Life of Pablo, like that to me, it, like also I, I just I, I just now remember the fact that. Kanye uh, really lit up Pitchfork for only giving that album a 9.0. Uh, it was it was just so funny to like see uh, Jason Green, the guy who wrote the review, just like be the target of Kanye West for a day. Um, I mean, you don't think there's any good songs on Donda? There, there's some good songs on Donda, but I think uh, okay. I don't know if there are like, good songs like, so much as songs that like oh. This here is an actual song. Like I can see this as being, you know, something I like. I enjoy this more than the bad songs. I mean, like Jesus Lord, Hurricane, Off the Grid. I can, These are I definitely think, songs on the album. <laughs> believe what I say. I mean, I think those are good songs. I not like his best songs, but again, I think if you take those four tracks, add another five or six, mm-hmm. I think you'd have like a pretty good. Kanye West record. I mean, yeah, I think you, that they're really good. <laughs> I think there's some good songs on here. It's just that you don't get the sense. And again, I don't think that this starts with this record. I think it's the last five years of his career mm-hmm. that he really has any sense of like what he wants to do on his records, like in a coherent kind of way. I mean, really, you could say that was true of Jesus and that like mm-hmm. Rick Rubin helped bail him out at the end and pull that record together. Because like to me, that record. Is like his last great record. Oh yeah, uh, and ever since then, it's been a very confused period <laughs> for him. It should be noted, though, that Kanye West in twenty twenty one is still extraordinarily popular. Oh yeah, uh, and he's popular in a way that I don't think. Certainly, the music press. I don't. I feel like something happened in the music press that, like, when Kanye went MAGA, that they decided that this guy, we don't like this guy anymore. And that means he's going to fade away and he's irrelevant. Nope. And and that didn't happen. Like, this is a huge streaming hit. He's able to fill arenas and stadiums with listening parties. Like, not mm. even concerts. Just listening parties. Um, and, I don't know, I, I feel like critics in, in their own minds canceled Kanye, but, like, he wasn't really canceled. No. You know? do you, actually, do you know what? Do you want to know what the most popular song on streaming is for this album at this moment? And is it's it, by like, is it the jail song? The first jail? I'm looking oh, at Spotify y- right now. Y- yeah, it is. Oh, it's it, it. Okay, there must be some sort of discrepancy because it's jail part two and jail. The original jail have the same amount of streams, but yeah, and you jail part two. That's the one with the baby on it. Like. So, I mean, that, like, kind of gives you the impression that... Um, and yeah, is that the song that Marilyn Manson co-wrote? Yeah, too? I believe that's the one with baby and Marilyn Manson on it. So, or Brian Warner, as he's credited as. Um, yeah, so there, there it is. But you're, you're right. Like, I think the fascinating thing about this album as a cultural event is... You know, I think about Kanye's career kind of similarly to, say, Prince, in that, 
you know, for the eight, like throughout the entire eighties, like from dirty mind to, you know, let's say around the world in a day or whatever, like Prince, everything this person did was a, a critical smash. It was a pop hit. It really just shifted the culture from the inside. And then slowly, but surely you get into the crystal ball era where he's like releasing triple discs and like jazz excursions. And, you know, you kind of have to just like, you know, like white knuckle your way through it in the hopes that maybe he'll get his shit together. But like Kanye is doing that, but also like still being every bit as popular, like arguably more popular than he was on Life of Pablo. Yeah, that's the thing about the Prince analogy is that by the time he was making Crystal Ball, his relevance as a pop phenomenon had faded dramatically. Right. He wasn't having hits anymore. And Kanye doesn't really have hits anymore no. either, but he... Um, you can't deny uh, how he is still like one of the most famous people in pop music. I mean, he might be the most famous still. Yeah. And and I'll say that even on this record, it's a mess, it's unfocused, all the things you want to say about it. Although, again, I'm holding out a little bit because I, I, I do think... I mean, this is the kind of record that you need a bookmark for when you're yeah. listening to it, because you cannot listen to it in one sitting. I, you know, I, I haven't been through it as many times as I would like to be if I was actually reviewing this record, because um, I, I only have so many hours in my day. Uh, and, and the bad parts of this record are super tedious, too. I mean, it's oh, not... God, yeah. there are There are long records that I enjoy listening to, because I think there's a lot of great music on it, and this is not one of those albums. Um, but his ability to still stay uh, at the center in a lot of ways of pop culture, I think at this point in his career, I mean, it's still like a pretty extraordinary run that he's had, even in this like weird period where he's putting out all these records that have not been well-received critically and, and don't seem very good. <laughs> uh, he, he still has his defenders and still people that like want to hear what he has to say. Do you think people were like, I don't know, like, expectations were exceeded on Donda. Like, I, I feel like they were. Yeah. I, I feel like the like the vibe I'm getting, uh, you know, even even if you look at some of the reviews, I know, like, Rolling Stone gave it two stars. Yeah. Which is Shout out to Paul review. Thompson, by the way. That was a, like, that guy, He he's just one of the best rap writers, and he did his yeah. homework. Like, yeah, I, 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 liked, I liked his review quite a bit. I thought yeah. it was really interesting. Um, but, you know, the fact that this has got a 6.0 from Pitchfork, that seems like kind of high for this record. <laughs> like, you know, this could uh, Are you going to take it? Are, are you going to take it there? <laughs> well, I mean, don't you think, though? I mean, I'm a, I, and I don't think it's like a, a inaccurate score or anything. I'm, I, yeah. I'm just, like, going into this album, I could have easily seen this getting like a 2.0. Yeah. You know? Uh, <laughs> super long record. You know, you got Marilyn Manson on there. You got the baby. You know, Kanye has his own baggage. It seemed yeah. like people had the knives sharpened. Mm-hmm. You know, to take him out, and it hasn't been out and out condemned again because I think that there is like a fair amount of like strong Kanye West music on this yeah. record. It's just that he makes you dig through a lot of mediocre music to get there, and he's presenting it in a package that again, to me, seems um, ill-considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, you you don't get the sense of intentionality mm-hmm. on this record. You get the sense of a guy 
who's just got a lot of stuff and he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Also, I, I think there's like kind of a genius bit of sequencing uh, where on the like, you know, the first song, the first proper song on the record, Jail, like it. It, it, it just has, like, the single worst Jay-Z verse I've, like, maybe ever heard in my entire life. And, you know, once you get past that, like, it just ratchets the expectations down so low that Kanye can't help but exceed it from there on out. So, you know, like, good, good, for, good for Jay-Z for, like, doing, doing Kanye a solid right there. Well, and this is the thing, you know, we talked about music critic brain uh, <laughs> earlier in this episode, and, and Kanye definitely has been the benefactor. Of, oh my God, uh, yeah. Uh, or he's benefited from music critic brain in the past. We talked about the life of Pablo discourse at the time, like how people were, they had such, uh, you know, there was so much goodwill for Kanye at that time that people were willing to look at that record and say that he's reimagining what an album can be <laughs> yeah. with this record. And you can make a similar argument with Donda and you know you were just talking about like well in a way maybe you could say that the sequencing of this with this terrible Jay-Z verse it like sets you up to appreciate the rest of the record you could also make the argument that like maybe just don't put that verse on the record you know maybe yeah. don't release this song maybe don't release like uh you know 18 of these songs like leave them in the hopper and put out your good stuff um and maybe he's not doing that because he doesn't know what the good stuff is. Or maybe I mean, he just and, doesn't and, need to. Like, I mean, you, you got, I don't remember, I, I can't imagine what a normal day for this person would be. You know, like, when was the last time this person had, like, a normal human experience? Like, 1994, maybe? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, like, when he entered the orbit of, uh, you know, like Jay Z and all that stuff. I I, I like, feel like that's probably by like by the mid nineties that he was, or I'm sorry, like late nineties. Yeah, I mean, aughts. yeah, like after, uh, yeah, I, I just think like at this point, like it, he's not even someone like he's not even like someone who's within the center of pop culture so much as like on planet Kanye. Like you can like it, it, it all like it's interacting with trends, but it's like kind of pulling them inward rather than like. The way graduation with like its Daft Punk samples and like you know European couture like influenced the culture from the inside out. Same with 808. It's just like this spectacle that almost seems to be happening independent of everything else that's that that's going on in music. I think it's fair to say, and and I thought this was true long before this album, but Kanye West is classic rock. Like he is Pink Floyd. He is the Beatles. He's one of those artists that gets passed down. Oh, yeah. From one generation to the next, that people look to as I'm going to get into this guy because it's like a rite of passage to listen <laughs> to this guy's music. Yeah. In the same way that it is for those other acts that, like, you get to a certain age and you're like, you know, I'm going to smoke weed and listen to Dark Side of the Moon. Like that. That's where I'm at. And I think Kanye has he's at that same. He's 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 reached that for like a different group of people. Um, mm. I, I mean, I think that's clearly a case for him. Um, and, you know, in terms of like the early 21st century, he still does seem like the most important artist that's like worked in popular music. I mean, I mean, is that hyperbolic? No, I mean, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to think of like someone that would rival him no. in that regard. There's like a lot of other big stars, but I don't know. Kanye seems singular to me and mm. you can say, and acknowledging that. Doesn't mean excusing like all the stupid things he said or done <laughs> yeah. in his life. I mean, you could still think he's obnoxious, 
but I don't think you could take that away from him, like his importance and influence that he's had in the last, you know, 15 or so years. Do you think that it's possible that he does make like a, I don't know, like in the way like Bob Dylan had his wilderness period and the way Neil Young had his wilderness period, uh, Joni Mitchell had her wilderness period that like he comes back and actually makes something that could stand. Cause people are saying like, apparently there are some people saying this is his best record ever. <laughs> or, Who's saying that? Uh, you know, when I read Tom Bryan's uh, uh, review of this a- album at Stereo Gum, like he linked to people, like it's 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 people who aren't critics and they aren't they're just like kind of more like sort of cultural commentators, like uh, you know, got like punched from TDE or whatever, or at the very least, like oh, it's his best since I don't even know, like 808s or whatever. Like well, the, people are, it, who say like it's his best since Life of Pablo. I mean, that's well, the funniest. Yeah, it's uh, like wow. Like, so it's like, better it's than a Jesus, real high bar. Jesus King and uh, Yay. Like it's better than those records. Like his two worst albums. Yeah, yeah um, that, that's not a. It's not a nothing accomplishment, but nonetheless, it's like wow. That that's that's you know that's 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 it's not quite the. It's REM's best since Automatic for the People or like U2's best since Octung Baby. But I mean, like it just kind of shows. Like kind of what I was looking to before. I think there are is a weird tendency to want to root for him to be great to like almost make all the bullshit we put up worth it. I think he could definitely make another great record. I because again, I think that there's good moments on this album. Yeah. Um. That if it just had more focus and he was able to <laughs> cut away a lot of the me- mediocrity around it. You know, the, like the good parts would shine more, and I think it would really hold together as a record. I mean, I hate to, you know, give the most basic uh, suggestion here, but like, put him in a room with Rick Rubin, yeah, and just make another, say, make yeah. another ten song album. You know, I think he could do that with someone like Rubin and make a really good record. I, Jack I, Antonoff and Travis Barker, like that's <laughs> that we we need we need Jack Antonoff to make his Kanye record. All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, well, we're just going to go, like, we're going to reverse the opposite day that happened with the My Chemical Romance split, uh, and I'm going to talk about emo now. Um, so the first, the, the album I want to recommend today, it's a band called Jail Socks, very fifth wave emo type band name. Uh, they're a Charlotte band coming off uh, some well-received EPs from the past couple years. If you were on a quarantine emo night, you heard Poplar Avenue. Uh, they have a new album coming out, uh, today called Coming Down on Counterintuitive Records, a, a real, uh, fixture in fifth wave emo discussion. And it hits a very specific pleasure center, but one that doesn't get hit a lot. You see, you have bands that like kind of do the more formalist pop punk thing, uh, like, you know, early Taking Back Sunday, early brand new, like early movie life. And you have bands that like are pretty purely emo, but it's rare that a band kind of unifies those things into hitting a spot like say bleed American or the jealous sound, like alongside the stills, like the jealous sound is a very IndyCast hall of fame, uh, candidate. Um, and that's what jail socks are doing on this record. It's very straightforward, very catchy. Um, kind of emo, kind of pop punk, a little bit of indie in there, just enough to the point where you could see people who, you know, 
like oh so oh so getting into it alongside uh, another band who i'm excited about in 2021 22 a band called anxious they released a new song recently we're starting to see more of a Jim Blossoms, uh, like a full-on Jim Blossoms influence on emo and pop punk bands. So, I mean, if that means anything to you, Jail Socks coming down, this is a record you should check out on the strength. I'll tell you what, if you've listened to our Donda discussion, this album is far shorter and asks far less. So check that one out. I like the Jim Blossoms revival because I, I, I talked about them in the context of the Alien Boy record that yes. I'm a big fan of. The, just the kind of jangly guitars uh, and uh, really poppy choruses. Uh, love to see New Miserable Experience become a touchstone for a generation of bands. Hopefully that can yeah, continue. Who would, have, who would have thought a, an album called New Miserable Experience would be a formative uh, influence on new brand of emo bands? So the record I'm going to talk about is one of the most loved albums in the indie jam sphere that have come out this year. Uh, it is, dare I say, what the Turnstile record is to like punk and hardcore Twitter. This album is to indie jam Twitter. It's called Other You. It's by Steve Gunn. Uh, Steve Gunn is a great guitar player uh, from Philadelphia. He's put out a bunch of records that I really love a lot. This is a record I had to warm up to a lot because... Steve Gunn's been doing this thing on his last couple solo records where he's been moving in more into like a singer-songwriter vein and less about instrumental guitar and guitar solos, like what he would what he did a lot in his, the early part of his career. And it's not a direction that I've like really loved from him. Like he put out a record in 2016 called Eyes on the Lines. That's one of my favorite albums of the last five years. And basically on that record, it's Steve Gunn and this other great guitar player named James Elkington just playing dual guitar and it's like the midpoint between the grateful dead and television you know marquee moon just a perfect guitar rock sound such a great record he's moved away from that a little bit again in more of a singer songwriter direction but uh, on other you he really is able i think to fuse some of the guitar jamminess of his early stuff with the singer-songwriter moves of his more recent work. So you have these really lovely contemplative songs that have like just mind-bendingly awesome atmospheric guitar parts that come out of nowhere. Like there's a song on there called Protection. That's been one of my favorite songs of the past uh, week or, or so that I've been listening to a lot. And I would definitely recommend that song in particular as an entry point into the album. But the whole album, I think... Um, after not feeling it for a while, it's really kind of warmed up for me uh, in the past week. So I would recommend checking that out if you are in the indie jam end of the spectrum for IndieCast listeners. Again, it's called Other You. It's by Steve Gunn. Uh, so go check that out. Uh, we've now reached the end of our episode. So thank you again for listening. Uh, we'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. 